Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is Dave Walker, and on today's special podcast, we continue our review of the Thomas Dimitrov years with the Atlanta Falcons. To help me with this task, I've invited a special guest to join me on each of these episodes as we break down the trades, free agent signings, and draft picks made in the Dimitrov era. My guest today is Kevin Knight, host of the Falcoholic Live and one of our editors at thefalcoholic.com. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, somebody had to take, you know, the, the final year of the Mike Smith, you know, era. So, uh, yes. So, you know, I, I'm glad I could fall on the sword for the rest of the crew this way. <laughs> this was a rough season. Um, and, you know, it, to get into it, we are going to talk about the 2014 season. As you know, that the final season under head coach Mike Smith, a year in which they went, uh, I believe, six and 10 after finishing 4-12 and 12 in the previous year in 2013. Uh, so to set up what 2014 was like for Thomas Dimitrov uh, as the GM, uh, we do want to recap what happened uh, coming into this season. Obviously, we just mentioned the 2013 season, the worst record ever under Mike Smith and Thomas Dimitrov. They went 4-12, and 12, uh, absolutely devastated by injuries in that season, a year where they had multiple injuries to the offensive line, Julio Jones obviously had his severe foot injury, which took him out for most of the season. Roddy White was hobbled for most of the year. Uh, just a complete decimation. It's the infamous Harry Douglas as a 1,000-yard receiver season. Uh, and it was one in which Matt Ryan was a- absolutely pummeled behind uh, the rotating cacophony of characters on the offensive line. And coming into this season, a lot of people felt like the 2013 Falcons, which had just come off of an NFC Championship game berth uh, against the 49ers, they felt that 2014 could be a bounce-back season. Obviously, that did not play out that way. And part of it has to do, I think, with what we're about to discuss, Kevin, um, because this was, uh, bar none, one of the ugliest uh, seasons in NFL history, for the Falcons at least. And it it... it even though they finished with a slightly better win-loss record, I think in many ways this season was worse because the injuries weren't as severe and you really had uh, just uh, horrible moves made across the board, which we're about to get into. <laughs> yes. um, so let's let's talk about the free agents. Um, I want to talk first about some of the guys that left the team and, and the, the impact it may have had uh, because I think some of these names ultimately did end up um, being missed by the Falcons in 2014. I want to start at the top. Safety, Thomas Decoud. Um, he ended up signing with the Panthers. And he actually only ended up playing one more year. It was this year before he uh, fell out of the NFL. Uh, but he had 
been with the Falcons for several years, obviously was a pro bowler in 2012, along with, um, uh, oh my goodness. Uh, <laughs> Willie Moe. Willie Moe. Thank yeah, you, yeah. William Moore. Um, so what are your thoughts on Decoud and, and his departure? Do you feel like it was the right move at the time, or uh, was this something where they, they ended up hurting with this secondary? Um, I mean, Deku was like after like 2012 was a great season for him, but other than 2012, he'd never been like that great. I mean, I think he was like a kind of a solid starter, uh, at that point, but yeah, I mean, his 2013 was really bad. Um, his tackling was never particularly good. So, uh, in 2013, it really was a problem, like a huge problem. Um, and they just didn't want to pay for that. Uh, and I, I get that. Um, the problem was they didn't really bring in anyone to replace him. Uh, right. <laughs> so that that was more the issue, I think, than, um, you know, the fact that William O didn't get re-signed. But, uh, yeah, I can't remember. Who was it? Uh, hold on, I'm going to look at it. Yeah, Dwight Lowry was who they brought in. Who was, like, fine, but he definitely wasn't a difference maker in any way. Um, so it just, like, it was not so much a problem that they didn't bring back Deku because I don't think he was worth an extension, really. Uh, more that they just didn't do anything to like fix that position when he left. Right. His play dropped off and then uh, they rightfully moved on from him, but they moved on to <laughs> essentially. Lowry. Yeah. More, more mediocrity. <laughs> it's right. um, just cheaper mediocrity, I guess, as it were, Yeah, uh, which I guess has some value. Um, all right. The, the next name on the list, I, I actually feel like this guy, uh, he was missed uh, more uh, than I think some fans realize. And that was right tackle Tyson Claybo, who ended up going and signing with the Dolphins. I think this is where we began to see the stretch of guys like Jeremy Trueblood um, get starts at right tackle. Mm-hmm. They did eventually find and, and insert Ryan Schrader, uh, but that took a while. And I think they yeah. went through Trueblood. I believe that uh, Lamar Holmes at some point was started at right tackle, which was whew, that was fun <laughs> disaster. Yeah. Um, so your your thoughts on the veteran Tyson Kleber, who who honestly was one of the the better right tackles in the league when he was playing for the Falcons. Yeah, I'm gonna pull it up on over the cap because I want to. I don't remember exactly what he got paid, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't really know. They went through this weird thing where they were like, okay, we're gonna get young on the offensive line now, coming off of like a great 2012 season where the team had just a fantastic season from the offensive line. Um, that never really made a lot of sense to me. Um, let's see. So Tyson Clavo. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they just decided that they were like done with Clavo. Um, and I, I don't think that was a good idea. I mean, he didn't play, I think, I think 2014 may have been his last year in the NFL even. Um, but yeah, I, like he was clearly on the downslope of his career, but going from Claybo to like Jeremy Trueblood and Lamar Holmes, still a downgrade. <laughs> it was a huge disaster. Um, and like if like don't try to make multiple changes on your offensive line in one off season. Um, I just never really agree with that strategy. Uh, one at a time, you know, as slowly as you can. <laughs> that's that's the best way to do it because the continuity is so important. When you're shuffling a million guys back and forth, it just it's really hard uh, for the offensive line to to succeed. Yeah, uh, definitely agree. And uh, this next name, I think, pairs with that in that uh, offensive lineman, Garrett Reynolds, who, let's be clear, uh, was not a particularly good player uh, in his own right. He also walked. He ended up signing with the Lions. Uh, so it, 
exactly to what you just said, uh, you know, losing two guys that were uh, on that offensive line in one season, maybe not the best of moves. And granted, you know, 2013 was a year where, where again, Matt Ryan was absolutely clobbered uh, yeah. in the pocket. Um, so it, it makes sense that they wanted to uh, make some moves. But uh, I think as we get on to some of the guys that they signed, <laughs> I, I, I sent this list to Kevin. So you guys know, I sent this list to Kevin ahead of time because I, I researched this to make sure we have all the names right. And as I was going through this and researching this, I, I, I get to the signings. I'm like, oh my God, this is wow. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, there's like a few guys that were, that were good, but like for the most part, it was not great. Yeah. It's a big, a, a big uh, whiff on several of these guys, yeah. which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, all right. A couple other names, uh, guys that ended up um, moving on uh, linebacker, Steven Nicholas, who, in my memory was actually a, a fairly good starter for most of his time in Atlanta. Uh, he ended up retiring and cornerback Asante Samuel, uh, who was part of the fantastic trade that Dimitrov made seventh round pick to Philadelphia to, to pull in Samuel. He also retired after playing two seasons with the Falcons. Um, and then uh, cornerback Dominique Franks, uh, fair catch Franks uh, <laughs> signed with the Ravens. So uh, those are the guys who left. Now the guys that we kept, um, these are some interesting numbers. And I feel like this is uh, the one thing that stood out to me, Kevin, as I was looking at this list of guys is they really didn't pay any big dollars out for guys that they were trying to keep. And I think that probably is indicative of the quality of the roster that they had at the time, right? Uh, which we look back on now and we say, yeah, you know, this, this roster really started falling apart quickly. Um, but some of the guys, the top guy that they kept, which I think he's really the, the best quality player on this list, arguably um, defensive tackle, Jonathan Babineau, they gave him a three-year deal for $9 million. Um, and then next to him, they gave Corey Peters uh, another defensive tackle, a one-year deal for 1.6 million. Uh, as you know, Peters went on to have some very good seasons with the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously Babineau was always that guy that was just that close to getting a sack, um, but still a good defensive tackle. Yeah. What are your thoughts on these two guys, the extensions to keep them around in this 2014 season? Yeah, I mean, Babineau was getting up there in age, but he was still playing well. I think he played even like the first year with Quinn too before he, yes. he retired. But like, yeah, I mean, he was getting towards the bottom of his career, but it was good to keep him around and he wasn't prohibitively expensive. Um, the one, like I, and I, I think this was, I think Corey Peters missed 2013 with an injury. So they re-signed him really cheap. Um, And then he was fine. And then I think, and I I like that re-signing because Corey Peters was always good when he was here. Um, Mm -hmm. He just ended up, I think, missing 2013. And then they were like, okay, well, here's your prove it deal. And then he played well in 2014 on a really bad defense. And then the team didn't bring him back in 2015, which that was, I think, the big mistake because – um, yeah. he's still playing well for the Cardinals, like even yeah. now. Um, and like, it wouldn't have been expensive to sign him to a two or three year extension. Um, so I just, that was one of those moves where it's like, I don't know why you let a good player leave when he's not going to cost you a lot. Uh, I mean, I guess, you know, Quinn didn't have any allegiance to him, but Dimitrov should have known, you know, cause this is a guy that's been you, de- you homegrown talent that you developed that, you know, had an injury, but then showed that he was still a good player. And then you just let him walk out the door for peanuts. I mean, he left in, inside with the Cardinals for very little. And now, yeah. of course, he's had a better contract. But that was the big mistake was letting Peters leave next year. I'm glad they resigned him this season, the 2014 season. Yeah, and I think that was a sensible move. And, and definitely they kept two quality uh, defensive tackles. 
they did. I just want to add this in there because I, I, I always find this hilarious. Mm-hmm. They did give Pariah Jerry a one-year deal worth eight hundred ninety thousand, um, and that was, of course, the infamous year where he basically retired in camp. Yeah, he like got he had just yeah, hard knocks. You know, it was too hard for him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so painful to watch. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, so it, it especially because Peters was sort of drafted in that third round the year after Jerry because of the the injury to mm-hmm. Jerry. And they, they wanted to find some depth at the position. And, of course, they ended up with Corey Peters, Vance Walker, who they let walk the year prior. Another that was another good defensive tackle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it, it's funny that it, if there's one position, that I would argue that uh, Thomas Dimitrov, with the exception of the prior Jerry, uh, has done a fairly good job of drafting. It's been defensive tackles. You know, he, yeah. he brought in Corey Peters, Vance Walker, of course, uh, the, the best of them all, uh, Grady Jarrett. Uh, so kudos to him for you know consistently finding some really good players at uh, in the middle of the line. Um, another player that they re-signed on the one-year deal, six hundred seventy-five thousand offensive lineman Mike Johnson. Um, I tell you what, this guy was made of glass the entire <laughs> yeah, time. Like, he when he actually Johnson. played, right, he was fine. Like I, yeah. I, I think everyone was always like, "Yeah, we should bring back Mike Johnson." You know, when he's healthy, he's been fine, and then that just never happened, unfortunately. Yeah, he, his career was it was sort of sad because he. He came with incredible pedigree out of Alabama and uh, just never could get on the field and stay on the field. Um, you know, his his problem wasn't talent; it was purely the the rash of injuries. Yeah. Um, arguably, the one of their better signings, one of their better draft picks in this era, center Joe Hawley. They they signed him to a two year deal worth six million. Uh, I believe he he came in. I, I want to say it was under Quinn that he ended up. It was the next season that he ended up getting cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a little bit surprising because he ended up being cut for a guy literally named Mike Person um, at <laughs> any center. Person. Yeah, yeah, any person. What are your thoughts on uh, um, fighting Joe Hawley? Yeah, I mean, he had played well when whenever called upon, um, and he actually I think started the 2014 season really well, and then I think he had like a season-ending injury um, or something like yep, that. ACL tear, I believe. Yeah, um, and then I think after that he was never the same. Like he did get, go on, I think, to start for the bucks under Dirk cutter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I mean, I always thought he was like a solid center at worst. Like he was a solid starter. Um, so he was a good pick and a good re-signing. I just wish he could have stayed healthy. Yeah. Uh, same here. And I think, you know, he ended up having a couple of good years in Tampa. Uh, and as you said, more of a, a solid starter, not, not someone that was going to make a pro bowl, but someone you could count on. Um, and, uh, Honestly, one of my favorite signings uh, for Dimitrov, or re-signings, if you will, was uh, cornerback uh, Bobby Mack, Robert McClain, yeah, yeah. one-year deal, $1.4 million. Um, I think we often forget him when we talk about the many, many corners that have come through this team, but he was arguably one of our best uh, nickel corners for the entire time he was with the Falcons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was back in the era where like the slot corner was still kind of like not respected. Like they were seventh round picks and they were getting one million a year. And you can see how quickly it's changed. You know, you got like Chris Harris Jr. making cornerback one money as like a slot for some Mm -hmm. uh, for like the Chargers and things like that. But yeah, I mean, this was back in the era when like a good slot corner was basically getting nothing. And, um, you know, Robert McClain was always a solid guy there. and yeah, I, I, that was definitely a good re-signing. I mean, it, unfortunately, it didn't help the defense. They were still 32nd in yards allowed. But, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that McLean was bad. I mean, like Babineau, Corey Peters, Robert McLean, like these were all guys that were good football players, but no one can no one can overcome Mike Nolan. So, 
<laughs> oh, perfectly said. No one can overcome Mike Nolan. I love it. Um, all right, let's get into some of the signings because, oh boy, this is going to be fun. Um, all right, I want to start on, with on the positive note, um, and that is uh, wide receiver Devin Hester, mm-hmm. one of the not one of the the greatest kick return and punt return um, specialist of all time in NFL history. Uh, absolutely dynamic player. And they actually brought him in um, to, to contribute as a wide receiver as well. Now, you know, he was certainly here to be, you know, on as a kick returner, punt returner. And he, he you know, did that role for you know, the two years he's with the Falcons. Um, but I was surprised actually by how much they did end up using him as a wide receiver. So mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on bringing in uh, Hester in, in the midst of that era? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we all liked the signing. It was really cool to get like the best, you know, returner in history on your team, just to, just to watch him play for the Falcons. I'll always remember, you know, he had some really nice returns for touchdowns in the two years that he was kind of here. Um, you know, he had a punt return touchdown that first year in 2014 as well. Um, you know, really good averages for his returns. Um, and like as a receiver, like you could tell, like he was not someone who was accustomed to getting the ball a lot in the passing game, which was all I always thought was bizarre when you have someone that's that talented with the ball in their hands and that good at reading the field that you just don't get them more, more looks as like a screen player or, you know, somebody on reverses or things like that. Um, but yeah, I think he caught like 40 passes for the Falcons or something like that. And um, it was, you know, a healthy yards per reception. He had a couple touchdowns. Um, you know, I'm glad that they, that was something actually interesting that, you know, Dirk Cutter managed to do offensively was to actually use someone like Devin Hester Um which it, he was really perfect for Cutter because you could throw him a ball on the screen and he could actually make a play. So right. <laughs> that was actually a perfect fit now that I think about it. Yeah, it's such a great point. And if I rem- remember right, with the Falcons, um, he actually had a game, I think, where he had 99 receiving yards in the game. I cannot remember the ex- uh, explicit game, but I believe it was in the 2014 season. Um, and this was arguably uh, his best season purely as a wide receiver. Uh, so, you know, and, and I remember interviews with him where he actually talked a lot about how much respect he had playing for a quarterback like Matt Ryan, um, and how excited he was about, uh, you know, being trusted as a receiver. So you could tell he, he wanted to come to Atlanta to prove something. And, and I felt like his time in Atlanta for what he was paid, he was not paid to be a top guy. He was paid to, you know, contribute in spots. And he did that, you know, 13.3 average of 2014, 504 yards. Uh, I think that's, you know, the kind of contribution you want to see from a guy who's, you know, a little bit further down the depth chart as a, as a receiver. Yeah. Um, all right. The next two names, these may cause trigger warnings. <laughs> so be forewarned. Um, first name, defensive end Tyson Jackson. Oh God. Five-year deal, $25 million. Um, and I, I just want to pair these two guys together because I feel like they are the definition of bad Dimitrov moves. And I'm going to throw in defensive tackle Paul Soliai, who signed a five-year deal worth $33 million. And this, and Kevin, this was in 2014. Oh, yeah. So we're not talking about you know 2020 level cap money. We're talking six years back, where the cap was much much different than what it is now. Um, I, I I give you the floor, sir, <laughs> to talk about the Tyson Jackson and Paul Soliai signings. Yeah, I mean, Tyson Jackson was never good. Um, I 
don't think he ever played well once. Uh, Paul Solii. Paul Solii was legitimately a, like a, an elite run stuffing nose tackle. He does not. He didn't offer much of anything as a pass rusher, but he was an elite nose tackle uh, in terms of run stopping. Um, so like at least with Paul Solii, he was good at what he did. That doesn't make him worth that monster contract, but at least mm-hmm. he was good. You know at his limited role. Tyson Jackson was always like this, like faux shift to the three, four was always such a stupid idea. Like (laughs) we have spent the last, you know, four seasons drafting for this four, three defense. And like, instead of admitting that, like, we're just really bad at finding four, three edge defenders, let's like switch to a three, four. And then, you know, say that, Oh, we're going to make our linebackers play edge now. And like, we're just going to have some three, four DNs and, you know, it's going to all be great. And of course it was terrible. I mean, the defense was awful. We all, we know this, but um, like, it was just one of these weird changes that was unnecessary. Um, it, It just came about for no reason. And Tyson Jackson was always bad. Like, I don't think, he ever made plays as a pass rusher as a run defender. He was like fine, but like we could have gone out and signed red Bryant for like the vet minimum and had a better right. run defender. Um, it saved a lot of money. It saved a lot of money. Like, I mean, if Quinn wanted his big edge and he's been obsessed with those guys basically since he came to Atlanta, um, like, you know, he, he went out and signed Alan Bailey for like 5 million and then g- gave him an extension the next year, even though he did literally nothing. It's just cause he's obsessed with these big ends. Um, and like, <laughs> I, I, I don't get it. Uh, I mean, at least you could say like in 2015, Quinn was like saddled with him. Like he didn't have a choice because he was on the right. for all this money. But uh, yeah, like Solii, it was like, okay, at least he was good at run defending and like he was a quality run defender. And um, with Jackson, it was that, that was one of the worst contracts that Dimitrov gave out in his whole tenure. Like I don't, Tyson Jackson was never a good pass rusher, but like, he was such a bad fit in Atlanta. Like he just yeah. needed people around him to be good. And like, it just signing a space eater at edge, first of all, like uh, to this giant contract, it was always a really dumb decision. Like those players just don't get paid big money uh, because yeah. they're a dime a dozen, you know? Yeah. I think if you're going to give him a five-year deal, it would have been far more palatable if it's five years, 10 million, right. you know, <laughs> instead of 25, which was, yeah just an astonishing number. I remember when that num- that number hit and we were all just sitting back and, and stunned at the Falcoholic. Just what in the world are they doing? That, that is an incredible amount of money. Um, and as you noted, he just never did anything of, of positive note in Atlanta. Um, all right. Next last player we'll, we'll sort of highlight uh, that came in that was signed um, offensive guard, John Asamoa, five-year deal, 22.5 million. I, I do want to say he, you know, he didn't last long in Atlanta, but that had more to do with uh, an injury he suffered, I believe, in 2015 to his hip mm-hmm. uh, that just ended ended up. I think it ended his career, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but in 2014, he was one of our best offensive linemen. So, uh, what are your thoughts on this particular signing? Yeah, it was a really smart signing. I mean, it was a good signing. Asamoa was a very good offensive lineman, had a great track record, um, played really, really well in 2014. Um, it was like a weird fit when Quinn came in and they wanted to move to the zone scheme. Um, but like, you know, it was like he was athletic enough. You know, he's kind of like the guys they have now and like James Carpenter and the other guy. I, I, I already forgot the other guy they signed. I already forgot his name, uh, Jamin Brown. Like he's kind oh, of like Brown, the yeah. players that he's like a bigger guard that's like 
athletic enough, but you know, he's not going to be the same as like a Chris Lindstrom who's like 300 pounds and really quick, but like he was more than athletic enough to do that scheme. It's just unfortunate that uh, he, you know, missed most of 2015 and just was never able to recover from that injury, which was career ending hip injury. We never really heard a lot about it, but he just never, he got cut and then he never signed with another team. And that just was kind of the end of his tenure. But yeah, I mean, you can't really fault Dimitrov too much for that signing because whenever he played, he was actually good. That was a good signing. Um, I just like yeah. to think about what it could have been like if we had Asamoah for five years. Like he, you know, he still would have been here over these last couple of years. And if he was still playing at a high level, you know, that would have been a big deal for this team uh, to not have to continuously shuffle guys uh, on that offensive line. So, yeah, especially when he was replacing guys like Garrett Reynolds. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, and I think this is a sign that they knew that they had to do a better job of protecting Matt Ryan. Um, and that will also factor into our conversation as we get into the draft. Uh, a couple other names that they signed in this offseason, um, just for fun, tied in uh, Bear Pasco. <laughs> Dude, Bear Pasco's um, signing article still gets clicks every single day. <laughs> I really don't good. understand why, but literally every time I check the stats page, Bear Pass, t- There's Bear, Pasco. Bear Pasco is like always there. Uh, so whoever <laughs> is out there searching for Bear Pasco, uh, we like killed the SEO on that article because that must be the first thing that pops up every time. <laughs> it's got to be like Bear Pasco's family yeah, at this point. Like, oh, fond memory. Do you remember that time he went to Atlanta? Yeah. It's like the Wolverine uh, meme with the, with the picture, you know, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Um, Offensive lineman Gabe Karimi, who was, uh, if I remember right, he was a former first-round pick for the Bears yeah. uh, that never panned out. Uh, spent one year with Atlanta. And then finally, cornerback slash kick returner Javier Arenas, uh, who came here on a one-year deal as well. Um, and that's basically where free agency ended. As we mentioned, Matt Ryan was pummeled in 2013, absolutely just behind a, a terrible offensive line that suffered a ton of injuries. And that's going to influence, I think, what we see happen in the 2014 draft class. But before we talk about that, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. We're back on the Falcoholic Podcast. This is Dave Walker. I'm joined by Kevin Knight. We're recapping the Falcons' 2014 season under former GM Thomas Dimitrov. We've talked about the free agents, the guys they brought in, the guys that left. Let's talk now about the draft. Kevin, I know you love draft talk. It's one of your favorite things. Um, So let's dive into what the Falcons did with this draft class. Obviously, finishing 4-12 in 2013 – would met them uh, for the first time in a while, a pick inside the top 10. And uh, the first pick for the Falcons in the 2014 NFL draft at number six, they took out of Texas A&M offensive tackle, Jake Matthews. And, you know, I mentioned before the break that uh, they knew they had to do a, a job, a better job of protecting Matt Ryan. And I remember this distinctly when he was drafted, when they drafted Jake Matthews, Sarah Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan's wife, um, 
on Twitter basically put uh, something to the effect of "Love you, TD," uh, <laughs> which uh, you know you've got to imagine she she was terrified seeing her husband get uh, destroyed every single week in 2013. Uh, so they brought in um, offensive tackle Jake Matthews. Just some other names that went before him. I remember watching the draft on that night, um, and I was actually a big, big, big Khalil Mack fan. Yeah. He he ended up going right ahead of the Falcons at number five to Oakland. Um, and of course, uh, Mack has ended up being one of the best pass rushers in the NFL in that entire time. Better than the guy who went number one, uh, Genevieve Clowney, right. who many people thought the Falcons were going to trade up to get. Um, and interestingly, Jake Matthews uh, was the second tackle off the board behind Greg Robinson at number two, who went to St. Louis. So with all of that in mind, Kevin, Give me your thoughts on Jake Matthews, the pick at the time, uh, the sense of making that particular pick for that player, and how you think it has panned out. Yeah, I mean, you'd be hard to find someone who like didn't like the Jake Matthews pick. I mean, I think people were probably disappointed in not getting Clowney. Um, you know, seeing Khalil Mack go right in front of them like that. I think that would have been a much more interesting discussion if it was between Khalil Mack and Jake Matthews at six. Like that would have been a tough call, I think, to make. Yeah. Um, but the Falcons ended up getting, you know, arguably the best offensive tackle from that class. Um, Jake Matthews is, you know, he started out like as about a solid left tackle, which is good for a rookie, certainly. Um, and he's like, he's slowly been ascending, you know, to, to that like top 10 left tackle rate, like ranking. Um, and, you know, he's never been a like an elite left tackle, but that's not really necessary. <laughs> like you, there's not very right. many of those players. Um and, you know, Jake Matthews is just very solid. He's a really good run blocker, especially when they run zone scheme stuff, which they haven't been doing lately. But, um, you know, he, he was really good in Shanahan's scheme there. He has a lot of highlight highlight reel, you know, plays getting out there and, and pancaking guys on the move. Um, so, you know, this was an exceptional pick, one of their best top 10 picks, you know, outside of Matt Ryan, I would say. Um, uh, but, you know, like I, I, I think – they dodged the bullet with Greg Robinson. Like, I don't know what they would have done if Greg Robinson was, was available. Oof. A lot of people were really high on Greg Robinson. I liked Greg Robinson. Um, I thought he had like a super high ceiling and he did, but he just wasn't good. <laughs> it never, yeah. He never reached it. He That's the problem. He clearly was kind of a knucklehead based on, you know, how he, how his career kind of flamed out and he just wasn't interested in getting better. And Jake Matthews was interested in getting better. And um, Jake Matthews was, was always the safer guy. So uh, I don't know that they would have gone in a different like, I don't know that they would have drafted Robinson even if he was there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, between Matthews and Khalil Mack, that, that, that would have been a really tough call. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know that you can really, like, answer that definitively. Like, who knows what would have happened? Like, maybe, you know, the Falcons would have ruined Khalil Mack. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Mike Nolan can ruin many players, that's for sure. Right. Um, I, I do want to say there were some people that thought the Falcons should take Taylor Lewan. I never felt like that was going to be in the cards because of the character issues with Lawan. Um, and to your point, I think Jake Matthews on a lot of the list was ranked as number two behind Greg Robinson. Yeah. Um, although, you know, Lawan is still playing. He is a good tackle as well. Uh, I don't, if, for those who think that he's substantially better than Matthews, I just don't think that's true. I think they're probably in the same range. Um, and I don't know that Lawan is going to be a guy that suddenly makes the entire offensive line any better than what it is with Jake Matthews. Um, the only other name I ever hear come up in this first round where, where Falcons fans are like, oh, we should grab this guy, was clearly at number 13, Aaron Donald. Yeah. Um, which, to be clear, 
I don't know that anyone knew that Donald would turn into the player he is now. Uh, like he went to 13. The Rams passed on him once. They had two first round picks and gra- grabbed Greg Robinson first. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, exactly. Like no one, don't believe anyone that tells you that they knew like Aaron Donald was going to be the, the best because all the teams in the top 10 didn't think that he was that good. Um, yeah. I mean, I loved Aaron Donald, but like I think myself and a lot of others were like, oh, well, we have Babineau, we have Corey Peters, you know, they, yep. they didn't bring back Corey Peters, but, um, you, you know, next year, but it's like, we have some good defensive tackles. It's not the highest need, you know, we need like edge or, or offensive tackle. And so it really, it wasn't really on my radar uh, for the draft, but yeah, I mean, hindsight, like, yeah, I think Aaron Donald would go number one, uh, obviously in that scenario, but like no one, no one knew that. And like on the Taylor, the one thing, I don't, I don't think Taylor, the better than Jake Matthews. I think he's had, maybe a season or two where he was like better, but consistency wise, it has not been there for Lawan and health wise. He's also missed a lot more time than Jake Matthews. So I, I think Jake Matthews is pretty clearly better than Taylor Lawan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, completely agree. Uh, some of the other guys that went a little bit later uh, in this first round, um, Odell Beckham Jr. was in this draft class where he mentioned Aaron, Aaron Donald, uh, Zach Martin, who I, you know, if you're talking about offensive line, maybe he would have been a solid pick as well. Um, and then you've got some guys, you know, further down D Ford went, uh, at number 23 to, uh, to KC, uh, Dion Buchanan to Arizona a little bit later. So it, this was actually really solid first round, uh, class for this, uh, 2014 draft class. A lot of these guys are still playing in the league. Um, even though we're, you know, we're at six years later. So solid draft class. I still feel like the, the Falcons got the guy they needed. And honestly, at this point, you know, Jake is in his early 30s, I believe. Uh, and there's no reason to believe he may, he could still play for this team for another six, seven years. Um, you see tackles now that play into their mid, late 30s simply because the quality of tackle play in the NFL is just disastrously bad across the board. So, Having a guy that's solid that you can count on, um, even though he's going to get beat occasionally, um, is that's hard to find in the NFL. I think the Falcons did well in finding a top-tier player um, at a top-tier position in this draft class. So second round, this one gets interesting. Um, at pick number 37, out of Minnesota, the Falcons took defensive tackle Rashid Hegeman. Ooh. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Yeah, so this one, there was rumors at the time, and I think this was substantiated later, that the Falcons were trying to trade up to the top of the second round because they had their eyes on Demarcus Lawrence, defensive end who would ultimately get drafted by Dallas. Mm -hmm. Um, For those that don't know, Lawrence has turned into one of the better pass rushers in the league in that time as well. Um, This was, it felt like a very... Uh, high risk pick because Hegeman fit the uh, the physical specimen profile of the kind of guy that could dominate. But I think there were questions about his effort and uh, his maturity. So we know now in hindsight how it turned out, right? But at the time, I feel like even then that maybe the the pick was a little bit controversial. What's your take on it? What do you remember about Rashid Hageman going in the second round for the Falcons? Yeah, I mean, I think people were excited about it because those kind of like boomer bust, you know, home run swing picks, they're obviously very controversial. But I do think that I I didn't disagree with the pick at the time. Um, I thought it was a, a good risk to take 
it was weird that it was a defensive tackle because they desperately needed edge help. And if you look at the guys they started at edge, like you, you start to also question the pick. Like you should have just swung at some edge rusher. Like I don't know why you're swinging at a defensive tackle when we're starting like Croy Beerman at edge. Like Stan right. Ponga played thir- like 12 games at edge. You know, Jonathan Massacoy had three starts. They wouldn't play him, you know. Uh, it was just a very weird, you know, positional choice there. Um, yeah, man, that defense was a disaster. But uh, <laughs> like, I, I don't really understand um, why they chose to, to take that risk at defensive tackle. I guess maybe it's you know one of these like, oh, he's the highest ranked player on our board type of things. But um, you know, they, they usually stayed away from kind of the knucklehead type. That that was yeah. usually not the type that they drafted. And of course the first one they go after ends up being a true knucklehead and, you know, has burned out quickly. I mean, he had good games. Um, He had some, some really good games from time to time, which really, you know, hammered home that it, it wasn't necessarily an error in the talent evaluation, but it's an error in the evaluation of, you know, does this guy want to play football? Is this guy capable of being an NFL player where he's able to put the work in and, uh, practice and get better and he wasn't like he he didn't want to he wasn't really that invested in the game and then he ends up washing out you know for i think it was domestic violence related stuff eventually i mean he kept getting second chances with the team over and over again just because oh well he's big and athletic so let's give him a shot but uh yeah i just uh i would have rather they took a swing on like one of these edge rushers uh in that range instead of going after defensive tackle but i don't know maybe they thought he was going to play three four end and then they're like oh that's technically an edge rusher so yeah. <laughs> um, well, in an amoeba defense, everyone's an edge rusher and yes. no one's an edge rusher. Especially um, Croy Bierman. Especially Croy. Oh, poor Bierman. Um, some of the guys that went after Hegeman, um, yeah, you've got linebacker Kyle Van Noy, uh, who went to Detroit. Uh, LaMarcus Joyner, defensive back, went to St. Louis. Um, Weston Richburg, uh, offensive lineman that ended up going to uh, the Giants. I don't think he uh, did too much in his time. Um, you know, Stephen Tuitt, uh, Stefan Tuitt in yeah. Pittsburgh, yeah, Trent nice. Murphy with Washington. Uh, some good players went behind him that, you know, and probably the, the best player in this entire round was uh, wide receiver Devontae Adams uh, at number 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that the Falcons need another wide receiver. Um, however, it, you could make the case that Roddy White was beginning to, you know, we we're, were beginning to watch the wheels uh, fall off of him. Uh, towards this time. So maybe Adams would have made a little bit of sense if you're, you know, looking for the long term. Uh, And I think that's part of the problem. You know, we knew that Dimitrov and uh, Smitty were on the hot seat and and it felt like they were maybe looking for guys that could contribute immediately because they did have so many roster issues, uh, so many depth issues that um, going for a wide receiver may have been too much of a reach, even though uh, Adams has certainly turned into a a phenomenal player. Uh, So, difficult you know to hold them accountable for this but at the same time uh i don't know about you i would have loved to have seen Devontae adams next to julio oh, jones yeah. that would have been great i just yeah you reminded me that they passed on stefan to for yeah rishi hagman yeah that's unforgivable man to was like to had better production in college he had equal size maybe even a little bit bigger so yeah that's a big big miss like i don't really know what to it what what Hagman gave you that to it didn't I don't think to it had the same questions associated with him so yeah that to me is the bigger miss like if you're gonna go after a defensive tackle or defensive end I mean to it's kind of a three three four DE but you know 
I would have made that. Yeah. Nice. But yeah, I mean, Devonte Adams with Julio Jones, that would have been amazing. Like, I, yeah. <laughs> that's really fun to think about, certainly. But uh, at the time, you know, considering what they were looking at, I, yeah, I honestly forgot they passed on Stefan Tuitt to take Rashid Hagman. That, that, that's unforgivable. Yeah. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, out of Georgia Tech, Jeremiah Tuchu, who uh, was one of the better pass rushers in, you know, his years in college, uh, he has like uh, more sacks than Hagman did. <laughs> so. Pretty sure uh, and he had more sacks than uh, Hagman did. Yeah, <laughs> like a nose tackle. So you know, geez. Yeah, so that's that feels like a, a big miss uh, with that pick. So, all right, third round, number sixty-seven. Oh my god, Kevin, I remember the responses to this pick. <laughs> Even people who watched this team in college were like, "What the hell?" Out of Wisconsin, the Falcons took safety. Desmond Southward. Desmond um, Southward. Yeah, this was this one hurt <laughs> because um, they literally uh, had opportunities at some guys in this round as well, guys like Christian Kirksey, Preston Brown, um, that uh, Gabe Jackson, uh, offensive lineman. Yep. Um, a lot of the positions they could have addressed. Trey Turner, um, the offensive lineman. Wow, just across the board, this was actually a really good third round for talent. Jer- you know, Jarek McKinnon uh, was at the back end of this third round. Um, it, it just a wow, just across the board, a bunch of really good names, and they went with Desmond Southward. I, those Wisconsin fans, when we were reaching out to them uh, to say, "Hey, what can you tell us about this guy?" Because no one knew anything about him, <laughs> and they were like why the hell did you draft him in the third round? And when we started hearing that, I think all the writers at the Falcoholic were like, oh my God, it's another TD pick. What are your thoughts on Southward, the pick at the time, and of course, knowing how he has ultimately panned out? I mean, my goodness. Yeah, that that was always a weird pick. Like I, I considered myself like a draft aficionado, even though I was like, I think I was working for Blogging Dirty at the time and just kind of doing it very casually. Like I had no idea who Desmond Southward was. Like I'd never heard of him. Um and like occasionally that happens with like a small school guy that's like really you know that's that's kind of an under the radar player but like he was at Wisconsin this is not a small school like random player situation this is like player at a, a major power 5 program that's just not good at football that they drafted because he ran fast and jumped high like this was like Mike Smith's attempt to show everyone like hey you know what uh, everyone's been criticizing me for drafting like slow you know fundamental like lunch pail players like this is my this is my olive branch to you analytics nerds that say I should draft athletes and he <laughs> went, like literally drafted the opposite of the player he usually takes a guy that had like no feel for the game whatsoever that just <laughs> ran fast and you know jumped high and like that's exactly what he was like he looked totally lost every time he went on the field um he was fast but like you know, he was always running the wrong way. So it didn't really matter, you know, and uh, I've been waiting, you know, for a chance to use this, but you know, his career quickly went southward after he got on the field. So, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man, it was right there. Yeah. It was right there. <laughs> we should have known from the name, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. I will never forget um, the fact that uh, Aaron Freeman, our friend from um, the uh, locked on Falcons podcast, uh, he was, he mentioned Southward on Twitter, didn't even at him, just mentioned him and Southward came after him. Uh, apparently, I guess just randomly searching Twitter for his name, which was the most obscure thing for a, a Falcons player to do. So um, that will forever live in, in my mind as just an absolutely uh, ridiculous pick. 
Yeah. All right. Next pick. This one. This one turned out a lot better, and I feel like uh, the value here makes a ton of sense. Um, and I was actually a big fan of this pick at the time, and I think it did turn out pretty well for the Falcons. Uh, in the fourth round, pick 103 out of the Florida State, running back Devontae Freeman. Uh, obviously, he would sit on the bench his rookie year behind uh, the ghost of Steven Jackson. It wasn't until 2015 under a new coaching staff that he actually would get a legitimate shot. And, of course, he had a phenomenal second year in the league, and we all know how that turned out in the next several years. So your thoughts on Devontae Freeman uh, with that fourth-round pick? Yeah, I mean, excellent pick. Um you know, this was this really drove home that Dirk Cutter is maybe the worst like run game coordinator in the NFL. That he felt like they needed to go out and sign a running back in Steven Jackson, and then draft the complete opposite of Steven Jackson in Devontae Freeman. Like Steven Jackson, <laughs> this giant hammer running back at the tail end of his career, very much like a short yardage you know weapon, um, and then Devontae Freeman, who is like this you know short but stout zone scheme back. Uh, that didn't fit their scheme at all, really. Uh, and then they proceed to like not use him at all. Uh, so it's like, why is he here? Uh, they they ran Stephen Jackson as much as they could, and he was you know not good anymore. I mean, I I, I honestly wonder <laughs> if like Stephen Jackson went to like a Kyle Shanahan team if he would have been like a thousand yard rusher. But no one had a chance to do that under Dirk Cutter. So, um, and then we find out, you know, it's confirmed when Kyle Shanahan comes in and then immediately is like, oh, wait, Devontae Freeman. Yeah, he's like our best running back. Okay. Yeah, you're going to be our starter. And then, of course, he runs for like a thousand yards and, you know, starts this really good run with the Falcons off of that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, a great pick. Um, good, very, very good patient runner with a lot of vision. You know, very strong receiver out of the backfield. Um, you know, fantasy dynamo for a few years there uh oh yeah and then yeah it just it's very frustrating you know that they felt like they needed to draft this guy then refused to play him kind of sums up the mike smith era in some ways but um, it does it's just like yeah it's a shame um but this does drive home and i think it's important for this year as well tying it to this year's draft takes like you can get starting running backs without spending premium picks you can get guys in the third and fourth round that can start for you there are, there are guys this year that are like that. So you don't have to draft, you know, Travis Etienne. As fun as that would be, like, you don't have to spend, you know, your top 10 pick on Travis Etienne or, or draft Najee Harris in the second round to get a good running back to start yep. for you. You can take a guy, you know, at the later end of day two, early day three, and have, you know, a great career. And then that's what Devontae Freeman did. So I'm hoping they can replicate that this year. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think, you know, next year, uh, the 2015 season, they would end up in the third round drafting Tevin Coleman, who obviously was also productive. And I think you know, to your point, you can get uh, a good running back. I think it also depends on, you know, the scheme. If you have a scheme that um, fits certain guys really well and you drafted those guys for that scheme, you can, as Kyle Shanahan has done, he has made so many running backs. Pulling guys successful. off the street like every week, it's somebody different. Yeah. They're getting like a hundred yard game, and meanwhile, Dirk Cutter has like three hundred yard rushers to his name in like seven seasons in Atlanta or something. So. <laughs> exactly. So I think you know to your point, if you get the right guy in the right scheme, you can be incredibly successful. Hell, look at uh, um, Alfred Morris um, yeah. when he went to Washington his first year. I think he had almost sixteen hundred yards rushing under Kyle Shanahan. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it's not just about the players. Sometimes yeah, it is about the crazy, scheme you align them with. Crazy how that works, you know. Maybe yeah. maybe the offensive coordinator does matter. 
<laughs> Imagine that. Um, all right. Falcons did have a compensatory pick in round four at pick 139 in the fourth round out of Notre Dame. They took linebacker Prince Shembo. Oy. Shembo. Oh, man. Wow. I, I'll i be honest. I, I, I don't remember a whole lot about what he did. Um, he did some sort of like animal abuse. Animal cruelty. That's yeah. it. Yes. Um, and he ended up not spending much time with the Falcons. Um, he was an interesting player, at least when they drafted him. Uh, he was a, a more physical linebacker, had a little bit of that, you know, that edge to him. Um, wasn't necessarily a character issue. You know, that didn't come out till later. Um, but I think there was some reason to think he could be, you know, at least a special teamer and then contribute, you know, as a potential starter in the long run. What are your thoughts on Shembo looking back? Yeah, I mean, I think. People liked to pick at the time. He was like kind of a hybrid guy. He could he was more of a Sam linebacker. Like he could line up on the line of scrimmage and rush off the edge a little bit. Um, and then was just a bigger, you know, more traditional linebacker. Um, he couldn't really cover, but none of their linebackers could cover, so he was in good company. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, honestly, that season, like he played in all sixteen games. He started three. Like I think he had some tackles for loss. He had some pressures. Uh, had a good number of tackles. Like, I think he looked like he could be a contributor, um, at least. Like, that pick was not going to be a bad one. But obviously, when you, you know, commit crimes, especially, like, especially in Atlanta and its animal cruelty, like, within, you know, spitting distance of the whole Vic fiasco, like, you can't do that. Like, you can't do yeah. that and expect to stick around. And what do you know? He was cut uh, and never got another chance with an NFL team. So, uh, Princhembo, we barely knew ye. <laughs> yeah what's sad is um you know right after him um cameron fleming tackle went uh and he ended up having a, a you know pretty good career i think he's still playing as a matter of fact um so and actually as i went back and looked through this 2014 draft there, it was actually a, a good number of players in these later rounds that end up being contributors um all right next round round five pick 168 i'm sorry this is uh Pick 147. Uh, the Falcons had two picks in the fifth round as well. Uh, 147 out of Purdue, cornerback Ricardo Allen. Um, undersized, uh, ball hawk, yet uh, end, ended up being uh, cut and put on the practice squad in in this season. Oh, my God, um, Mike Smith. Oh, Mike Smith. And I think this is one of those things where you almost want to give uh, – Dimitrov credit for seeing something that clearly Mike Smith did not, uh, because we know that obviously Ricardo Allen would go on to get a, a, another chance at his career under um, Dan Quinn and would turn into uh, a quality starter. So your thoughts on Ricardo Allen, uh, really that, that season for him under Mike Smith, where he was sort of just, you know, lost in the shuffle and what he ultimately ended up doing with the team. Yeah. I mean, I think Ricardo Allen was a very popular pick at the time. I think uh, a lot of folks thought, you know, he could kind of maybe replicate what Asante Samuel did. Like he was, you know, a, kind of an undersized guy, but a ball hawk, um, you know, someone who could maybe come in and, and help that depth. Uh, the fact that he got cut in training camp was weird. Uh, like you don't usually cut your fifth round picks unless they're like really bad or they have some sort of character issue. And like the Falcons did not hesitate to cut him. Uh so that was just, it was weird that that even happened. 
And like, it's not like they had good corners. Like, no. Uh, I mean, what was it? Like, I mean, Robert McClain, Desmond Trufant were two guys. Uh, Robert Alford was another one, but like Josh Wilson, career journeyman, you know, uh, Desmond Southward. Hey, yeah. I don't think he was yeah. right corner at the time. I think he was playing. Javier Arenas. So they had yeah, signed. yeah. They, they kept Javier Arenas over their fifth round pick who played like, he played in six games. I think he had like, uh, like a handful of tackles and like one, yeah. one PD. Like this is, you, you cut your fifth round pick for this. Like it was just a very bizarre decision. Um, so I'm glad that the next coaching staff, you know, gave him a chance, realized that he was very intelligent, that he could do a position switch and, and you know, the rest is history. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, again, this is a pick that Dimitrov should get some credit for because he saw more than what the uh, coaching staff did and it ultimately ended up being proven right with Dan Quinn coming in. Um, later in the fifth round, pick 168 out of Syracuse, the Falcons took Marquise Spruill, um, linebacker, and this one unfortunately didn't work out. I think he ended up getting uh, injured in training camp uh, and just never really did much with the team. I think he flamed out pretty quickly. Uh, and I want to touch on the last two picks, uh, round seven, pick 253 out of Connecticut. They took uh, linebacker Yawin Smallwood, who I think uh, Dave Choate was excited about them signing simply because of the name and the jokes that he could uh, uh, elicit around that. And uh, at pick 255 out of South Dakota, linebacker Tyler Starr, uh, who someone at one point called the next um, Clay Matthews. And that's certainly – so, yeah, so that certainly did not pan out. Well, um, if you use horsepower rating, then <laughs> we love oh, you. If you're listening, we love you. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so your your thoughts on these last three picks, obviously none of them panned out ultimately for the Falcons, but uh, any any really hot takes about these last three guys? Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think like Yawn Smallwood had some actually like solid college tape. Um, so that was one that was a little bit interesting, um, but he was just kind of like a preseason guy. Um, you know, I think he actually looked fairly good in preseason, but never compiled any stats in his career. Um, Tyler Starr, of course, we had a love affair with. Um, so also he, I don't know that he like literally ever did anything his entire career, uh, but you know, that like almost Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah. Tyler Starr appeared in one game for the Falcons outside of the preseason and had one tackle. Um, so, you know, that's unfortunate. But, like, you can't really quibble over seventh-rounders. Like, it's like you're yeah. – They're just priority free agents, basically. Um, and, like, I didn't mind the Young Smallwood pick, and I didn't mind that they wanted to try and find a pass rusher, maybe a diamond in the rough, you know. Like, Tyler Starr was the type of profile you go after in the seventh round. Yeah. Like, crazy athlete yep. that just needs a lot of development. Um, so, I think – that's a good seventh round dart to throw. It obviously didn't work out, but um, you know, not the worst idea there. Same with Yellen Smallwood. He was like a good athlete. Um, Marquis Spruill, like I actually liked his tape, um, but like you said, he got hurt. And then that was, that was it. I think they put him on IR and then cut him off IR and then just, then they just never bothered bringing him back. So, um, you know, sad to see uh, because you never want someone's career to end like that. But uh, yeah. 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 So here we are at the end of this draft class. I'm with you. I I feel like those, those seventh rounders spend it on positions where you can get, uh, you know, some potential value. Um, And I I did like those picks, even though they didn't pan out Uh, at least they were swinging for the fences. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've gone through the free agents. We've gone through this draft class. Um, 
what are your thoughts on what Dimitrov did in this 2014 season overall? Yeah, it's it's definitely not one of his worst class. Like in terms of draft class, like they got they got some contributors, right? Like they did get um, you know, several they got three starters out of it. Um, and like Rashid Hagman did start some games, so it's like he's kind of uh I'd give him like kind of an iffy, you know, also starter ranking there. But like Jake mm-hmm. Matthews, like you have a top 10 pick. It should be a pick that's a cornerstone of your team. And Jake Matthews is a cornerstone. So that pick yep. gets the most weight and it was the most successful of the picks. So I think that's, you know, a, a, an A pick for him. You know, that that's an A pick. Um, Hagman didn't work out. I, I still think I grade that kind of like a C, you know, or, or so um, because Hagman showed a lot of promise. He just didn't work out because he was a knucklehead. You know, if you put it in the context yeah. that they could have had Stefan to it, uh, you know, that makes me angrier, but I still think it's, you know, a C. <laughs> this Southward's a straight up F. So like, like, we don't even need to spend time on that. That was a stupid, stupid pick. Like there was absolutely no reason to select that player. Devonta Freeman, you have to give an A because as a fourth rounder coming in and starting, you know, like three seasons for you, four seasons for you, that that's tremendous value. Um, and making Pro Bowls as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Prince Shembo is a bad pick because he's a knucklehead. Ricardo Allen, you know, I think you have to give that an A as well because you got multiple years of a starter out of a fifth rounder. Um, and then the last three, you know, it's hard to really judge like those picks too harshly, but you know, none of them worked out. So they're all, you know, not great, but you know, I think the draft class you, you give like a, like maybe a B minus overall, you know, Jake Matthews does a lot of heavy lifting, Devonte Freeman, Ricardo Allen help, but then you had some really costly misses in the second, third round. Um, yeah. free agency. I mean, it was really bad. Um, you know, I like, <laughs> I like John SMO a lot, so that helps keep it from being a disaster, but uh, Tyson Jackson, terrible. Um, Paul Soliai, like, I don't hate Paul Soliai. I just hate that they gave him all that money. Like, I actually really liked Paul Soliai when he was here. I think he was a really fun player to watch, which is rare when you're talking about a nose tackle. Like, he was quite athletic yeah. for a nose tackle. He had that great hair. Um, just a huge <laughs> dude. Just, like, this dude was huge. Like I, was felt like, I felt like he was a pro wrestler out there. Like, he was just trucking kids and, like, running people over. And so he was a lot of fun to watch. So, like, I don't, I don't mind him so much. I just mind the money. And the fact that, like, after he proved that he was good, they, like, still cut him. Like, the later part of his deal, he wasn't making nearly as much guaranteed money. And they could have just kept him around as, like, a top-tier nose tackle. And they were just like, no. And then, you know, we know that the run defense was really bad and you know, uh, a couple of those years without him. So, uh, you know, we have a good guy now in Tyler Davison. So it's not like it's that hard to find another guy. But, whew. And then Bear Pasco, you know, I have to give Bear Pasco a great rating because he keeps getting us those clicks every day. So um, that one helps out as well. But, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think free agency is kind of like a D overall. Um, you know, I like that they re-signed Babineau and Peters and they got Asamoa, but uh, the the misses were bad. And, like, they didn't really address their biggest need, which was they have no damn pass rushers at all. Like, they had yeah. none, and they didn't address it at all. So, I mean, maybe they were, like, you know, maybe Dimitrov knew that he, like, couldn't sign edge players. Like, he just doesn't know what a good edge player looks like. Uh, so maybe that was just him trying to help us out, but – you know, uh, that's not a good excuse. So <laughs> you yeah, got to be able to find passers for somewhere. No, absolutely. Um, and I, I think I'm with you. I think the draft class, they got enough starters, enough quality starters that uh, it deserves at least you know, like a B minus, uh, maybe even a little bit higher because mm-hmm. getting that left tackle that will be a, a starter in your team for a decade is a big deal. And a lot of teams whiff on that position repeatedly. Um 
so that you know, getting Jake Matthews was a big, uh, big, big win, especially when you look at some of the other guys that also went in that round. Um, and it, I'm with you. You know, Tyson Jackson, too much money, not not a good player. And Soliai was a good player, just way too much money for a two down uh, defensive run stopping defensive tackle. Uh, and the signings of guys like Devin Hester and Osamoa were good, but they don't overcome sort of those two disastrous signings from a financial standpoint. And I think that's the big thing is that you know they tied up all that money into those two guys. That ends up having an, an effect on the team down the road because now your money is tied up in guys that aren't contributing and you can't go out and just immediately replace them with you know quality um, edge rushers that you know end up hitting free agency. And I think that's what we continue to see uh, over the next several years after this 2014 season. Um, so overall, draft class, solid, not great. Um, free agency, uh, not good. It feels like sort of a meh yeah. season overall for Dimitrov, right. uh, which makes sense because they ultimately would finish uh, six and ten. And um, honestly, Dimitrov held on by the skin of his teeth only because Dan Quinn got along with him um, and uh, signed off on him staying as general manager. So, uh, re- which is really somewhat rare, you know, to see a, a general manager survive to a second coach like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Interestingly, like 2014 was actually like Dirk Cutter's maybe most impressive season as offensive coordinator, which was really interesting to me in particular, yeah. like, um, because 2012, like it was his most impressive statistically, but I don't give a lot of credit for that because he had maybe the most talented offense I've ever seen, like yeah. prime Julio, prime Roddy, and a still really, really good Tony Gonzalez with like a yeah. top five offensive line and Matt Ryan at his, the height of his powers. Uh, so like, it's hard to give too much credit for that. Uh, but like in 2014, um, Cutter to give him his credit, uh, you know, was 12th in scoring in a year where the team was just not really that good, uh, eighth in yards per play. So it was one of his rare efficient years in terms of yardage. And, uh, they were fifth in red zone efficiency at 61%, which was the highest rate of his entire career with a unit that was, you know, really not all that impressive, uh, so, you know, I got to give props to Cutter. Like that was, I think, his most impressive season because for once the scoring and red zone efficiency didn't lag behind the yardage. Um, unfortunately, it would be all downhill from there for Dirk Cutter. So. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. So, Kevin, thank you again for helping me to recap this 2014 season under former GM Thomas Dimitrov. Why don't you remind our listeners where they can find you and what you have going on? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at Falcoholic Kevin. Uh, and then, you know, I have articles coming out pretty much every day. But the big thing I do is the Falcoholic Live, which if you guys listen to the Falcoholic podcast feed, you're probably getting our podcast as well. So thank you for listening to those. Uh, but if you're interested in catching the live show as well, that's going to be on Wednesdays at 8, 10 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. And then we also do post game shows uh, immediately following the games. So check that out. It's a lot of fun. And also check out the uh, Falcoholic Discord, which is up and running now. Uh, you can find the link to that. I think it's on the Falcoholic Live's Twitter. So it's at Falcoholic Live. Yep. Uh, as for me, guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at Falcoholic Pod. And of course, our articles daily at Falcoholic.com. So for Kevin Knight, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.